back through it here as we go through. It's John 5.30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. This is Jesus talking. And my judgment is just. Because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it's they that bear witness about me. Yet, you refuse to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Um, this is going to be a challenging one. <laughs> Jesus says a lot in these passages. Um, and what he's going to do is he's going to peel back um, why we don't believe. And he, he's talking to the religious. He's, he's talking to us. He's, talk, he's talking to the people that go to church. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to the Jews. He's talking to the people who, like I said last week, would have said, I know God. I know what he would do. I know who he would, how he would interact. If I saw him amongst us, right, like I would, I would recognize him. And they didn't. And we often don't. And so what he's going to do is he's going to walk through this, and he's going to say, let me explain to you why you struggle with doubt, why you struggle to believe. Any, anybody in here ever have any doubts about your faith? I mean, this is what he's going to do. And I will tell you, I told the, the, the worship team this morning, this is not, if you had asked me one week ago, why do people doubt and what's the, what's the solution to doubt, this is not where I would have gone. Which means what I thought to be true is not true. 
Um, and so this morning, as we, as we dive into this, there's, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about, but I want us to focus on that. Jesus here points to them in a very indicting, a very strong voice. He says, you don't believe because you don't want to believe. You don't believe because you refuse to come to me. You don't believe. How can you believe? These are the expressions that Jesus is using. He isn't actually asking a question at the end, how can you believe? He's saying, you will never believe if. So if you're in this room and you've struggled with doubts, so I'll take that as everybody, um, or, or you know that your faith is, is something that can teeter on the circumstances of life, this is for you, because, and, and this is for all of us, because inevitably in our lives, we will all doubt. We'll all struggle with our faith. We'll all ask the question, why? And we'd like to sing that last song, not the last song, but the second to last song. We'd all like to sing that and say, my one desire is you, God. And frankly, it's a lie. It's a lie for me. I can't sing that with integrity. It, it, it hurts coming out of my mouth because I'm like, it's what I want it to be. So that's what we're going to dive into. Um, we'll go back through those verses. But um, Jonathan, I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't met you, welcome. We have, uh, and, and honestly, if you're, you know, if you're tuning in or whatever, you know, like, eh, it's good to gather. It's good to worship together. Um, thank you to the worship team for leading us in that because I, I think that is just such a, such an incredible opportunity for us to just push. And I'll tell you, I, I am challenged because I often want to think about what my first words are going to be coming up here. And I have to not, not do that and worship because I, I am here worshiping alongside all of you, right? Like, like, and so I have to really go, I, I don't uh, figure it out, God. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to say. So usually that's why it takes me a while to get started because I just don't know. But reading the scripture is, is good. It's a good way to start. So with that, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this time. We lift it up to you. We pray that you would be glorified in this. We pray that you would reveal our hearts to us because we don't know them. We think we know them. We think we know ourselves. But as you peel this back and you dig down deep into the roots of our souls, we discover um, just darkness. And we ask, Father, that you would till the soil, open it up, help us shine light in our lives, in our hearts. Help us to see you for who you are, our great and mighty God. It's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. So this week, you guys read some scripture together in your small group or in your individual study time. That was just incredible. I, I, hope, I hope you guys are keeping up with us as we bounce back and forth because these things are, they're, they're leaning off of each other. They're, they're, they're uh, obviously Jesus is having one uh, consistent dialogue here, right? And if you remember, 
So Jesus does this, he heals the invalid, and the Jews see him, and he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath, and they attack the man for carrying his mat on the Sabbath instead of rejoicing with his healing. And, and they're like trying to figure out, what, why is this happening? Why are you breaking the rules? And Jesus' answer to them is, effectively, because I'm the Son of God. Because God is working until now, and so am I, is what Jesus says. And so then they redirect their focus, and they're like, you know what? Forget the breaking the rules of the Sabbath. You're now blaspheming. You're calling yourself equal with God. And so what you then read this last week was Jesus going, he didn't, he didn't say, oh, no, 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 you misunderstood me. That's not what I was trying to say. It's not what he says. He doubles down, and he goes, no, 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 let me explain to you exactly how I'm equal with God. And we read some, just some incredible, and so I'm going to touch on a couple of these in uh, John, we'll be in uh, ugh, sorry, we'll be in John chapter five. Um, eventually, we're going to start in verse thirty, but right now I'm going to review a couple of these things. So the verses will be on the screen um, as we go forward. John chapter five, verse nineteen. So Jesus said to them, "Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing." He does not say, I try to obey God, which is what we would presumably say. He says, no, no, no. What the Father does, I do. Can anybody in here say this? <laughs> no. This is him saying, no, no, no. I was true. I, I, I didn't misspeak. I am equal with God. Everything that the Father does, I do. Super, super clear, right? Uh, verse 23 He says, uh, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Anybody want to let those words roll out of your mouth? No, he's, he's saying, you need to honor me as much as you are honoring God. This, again, he's saying, I'm equal with God. This is one, we are one and the same. Verse 24 Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. You believe my words, this is Jesus speaking, not me. Jesus says, if you believe my words, you will have eternal life. These are, these are not confusing statements about who Jesus is. These are not difficult statements for us to understand. Jesus is very clearly saying that he is God. Would we all agree on that? I mean, this is, so when the world goes, well, you know, he's a good teacher. I'm like, well, I don't, that's not a good teacher. That's either a blasphemous, demonic, diluted, deceiving person, or he's the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God. That's it. I mean, like, that's, and, and these words are, are amazing and incredible. And so, what, so we saw that this last week. And so Jesus is going to continue on, and he's going to explain. He's like, why don't you believe that? Why don't you believe this about me? And he's going to step through, and he's going to go, let me tell you why you don't believe. And frankly, the fact that he has to tell us why we don't believe is a pretty good indicator about the depth of our depravity. It's not as if we go, oh, well, that's easy. Right? Like, I don't have enough money in my bank account. Well, let me go work, and I'll get more money. Right? Like, it's an easy solution. 
right? Like, like there's, there's solutions in life. I doubt. Oh, well, that's fine. Let me just believe. <laughs> well, it's not that easy, right? Why, why, why isn't it? Why, why couldn't it be? Wouldn't it be great if we were just like, man, I just really need to do some extra believing this morning, and then I'll be better for the rest of the day. Like it's, it doesn't work that way. And so this is what Jesus dives into. But I, I, what I want you to capture here, Jesus does not leave room for another way. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ as our Savior is, is right there. There's, there's nothing, it, it's not a matter of intolerance. It's not a matter of, uh, anything else. It's not a matter of like church tradition that Jesus has become this. Jesus said that he is the way to eternal life. And we haven't even gone to John 14, 6, where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. That's it. He, he's the way. And if you think there's a different way, maybe, maybe that's where part of your doubts lay, but if you, if you think that there's a different way, man, I would love to hear what other religion has a solution or what other uh, faith has a solution to solve your sin problem and solve your depravity. And I don't say that from a perspective of we're sinless. We're not. We're all sinful. But we have one who took our sins from us. And that's why we point to Jesus. That's why we say he's the exclusive way to eternity. Because nobody else can remove our sins. And so this is where Jesus starts this discussion. So we're going to read, uh, start off here in verse 30. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because, if you've got a Bible, underline that because, I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Oh, I've been, rash- I've been wrestling with this one for a while. Um, did Jesus just say he has a different will than the Father? It, it appears so. There's actually a term for it that I couldn't pronounce, uh, what, this, what this means, what the implications of this are. But what does Jesus say? He sets up this model for us, and this is going to traverse through the rest of these verses. He goes, he goes listen, I, I do nothing on my own. And he says, I set aside my will... For the Father's will. The Garden of Gethsemane. What does Jesus say? Take this cup from me. Not my will, but your will be done. So Jesus is modeling something here for us. And, and I don't want to spend a ton of time. You guys can just kind of ponder this one a little bit. Because at first I was like, is this real? Is this right? And you can ask my stronger. I think we were like talking about it a little bit. And I, I, it, it's interesting. Because Jesus clearly identifies that he has a different will. This is where we get into that, that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He had a will. He set it to the side. He had desires. He had temptations. Jesus was in the desert, right? We'll get into more of that here in a second. Actually, right now, I just forgot the verses. Sorry. Luke 22, 40. Did you put the verses up, babe? Thanks. Sorry, I just didn't even, yeah. So there's what he says, right? <laughs> I forgot. I thought I was going on my tangent. Um, this is incredible. And Jesus can relate to us. This is why he has a human will. And he sets it to the side. Do we? <laughs> Not at all, right? And this is, this is where he's going with it. So he's setting the stage 
of who he is. Hebrews 4.15 describes that, that we have a Savior who can relate to us because he has been tempted just as we are, right? He understands us. If, if he was just, uh, if he had no human will, no human desires, no, no temptations in, inside of his mind, then we would say that whole temptation thing in the desert was a sham. It's fake because you can't be tempted. Now, I, what I'm not going to spend a lot of time on, but I would love to, for I would love for your guys. This is my. Um, I'm not saying this with with any scriptural authority here, but based on Jesus in the desert, would lead me to conclude that being tempted is not in and of itself a sin. Because Jesus did not sin. This is interesting, because it helps us. helps us understand a little bit more of who we are. Maybe, maybe some regrets and some shame of, of where your temptations are, and you go, well, it, apparently... There's a, there's a way to be tempted that is not sinful. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on that one. But anyway, but what we see, though, is that what we fill, what we fill the vacuous void in our, in our hearts that God intends to fill, what do we do? We go grab other stuff, and we, we cram it in there, right? So we feel this need for whatever, and instead of seeking that from God, which is what Jesus did, we go over here and we grab something else that doesn't quite fit into that same hole and we cram it in and it just doesn't settle right and it doesn't work and maybe it's there for a little bit but it doesn't last. And this is where Jesus is going to go because we want more than anything else, we want to be thought well of by others. We'll, we'll dig into that. Jesus is going to dig into that. Instead of wanting to be well thought of by God. And so the, the, the need, the desire is okay. It's good. If we fill it with God, it's great. It's beautiful. It's exactly what it's supposed to be. But if we grab all the things in the world and we try to cram them in there, that's not. And this is why Jesus is going to say, we can't, we can't believe, we doubt. And so what he's going to anchor on here is this verse 30 where he says, I don't seek my own will, I seek the will of the Father. That's the question for us. Does the will of the Father define our lives? And what we do and what we think and how we feel, is it, is it about him or is it about our will and what we want and our glory and the applause of men? So Jesus is going to start dissecting this. And I'm going to read a few verses here, uh, picking up in verse 31. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. And so now he's going to list two witnesses, John the Baptist and the Father. And he's going to say, uh, there, in verse 32, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he's borne witness to the truth, that the testimony that I receive, sorry, 
not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may believe. So here's, here's the context. They liked John for a little bit. And he's going to dive in. He's going to explain this. Like John was okay. He was talking about repentance and, and they were cool with him going out and baptizing and doing these things. And then when John points to Jesus, then he gets rejected. The second he points away from himself, you see what Jesus is doing? He's going, what just happened there? Why was it okay for John to be John, but then when John pointed to God, he was rejected? It says in verse 35, he was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. He goes, so here's John, you believed him until he pointed to me, and but then the things that I'm doing are clearly from God. Nicodemus recognized that. Everybody was recognizing that. He's going around doing miracles and all sorts of signs and amazing things. And he goes, I don't even understand. Like, why, why don't you believe? I mean, he understands. Maybe I kind of went a little crazy there, right? So obviously Jesus understands why, but why, why didn't they? They believed John, and then they stopped. And then here comes Jesus doing these amazing things. Why did they reject him as the Messiah? Why do we see the works of God in our lives and then reject God just the same? Warner was talking a little bit this morning and made me think, like, perhaps there's something to our sinful nature that when, when God's light shines, it is such a beautiful thing and we see his actions and interactions in our lives and in the lives of our friends and we rejoice in it and then it seems as though it goes away and then that's gone and then it's really dark really dark and that's when we doubt and we go what just happened but in contrast to the light it becomes so dark maybe that's the difference right where the world is used to the darkness their eyes have adjusted they're like, oh, this is fine. But for us who, who are dwelling in light, who come in here and worship God and like, are like, man, this is amazing and beautiful and we're hearing these amazing stories of God interacting in the lives and then we go into the dark, it's like, ooh, it's really pitch black. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe this, this, is, maybe this is where our doubts kind of surface. So look what it says in the second part of verse 37. And now this is where Jesus is going to start digging in He's going to go, let me explain to you why you don't believe John and why the works that the Father gave me to do are insufficient to create belief in you. He says, his voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You have never heard the words of God. You have never seen his form. You're, you're a foreigner to God. This is what he says. He says, the reason you don't believe is because you don't spend time with God. You don't know him. You don't know him. 
if you knew them, right? We, we know this inter, in interpersonal relationships. We all know each other. And hopefully that creates in us a sense of trust in, in different, right? Like people in our lives we trust because we know them. Why do we think it would be any different? When we spend time with God, we'll know him. And when we know him, we'll trust him. Because we'll see his grace, and mercy, and love, forgiveness, his loving kindness. We see that his arms are open wide, forgiving us over and over again. We, we see him pour out grace in our lives in so many different ways. Absolutely. And then we're reading scripture, we're praying to him, right? Like, as we spend time with God, just like we know, we know this with everybody else in our lives. But for some reason, we feel like the relationship with God is just a button that we pushed. When did, when did your relationship start? When did you push the God button? It's no. That's not, that's not how a relationship works. And we know this to be true. They didn't recognize Jesus. He's like, you don't believe him who sent me. Like, you don't, like here I am, God in the flesh, incarnate. Jesus is walking around amongst them saying all these things, doing all these things, and they're like, who are you? Because obviously you don't know God. That's the only conclusion. That's the problem. I was destroyed this week as I was thinking about this. Because I thought, here's, here's, here's what I thought. I'm going to have a hard time getting through this one. If Jesus came in through that door and I would... Let's, let's pretend like this is the, the first coming of Jesus when it's not with trumpets and clearly, right? Let's say he just subtly, humbly walked in that door, started serving in the church, joined a small group, went to men's group. I'm not saying these are things that you must do, okay? Like, let's just say he just starts, he's, he's just coming. He's just here. Would we recognize him as different? Would we know God so clearly that the first word out of his mouth to us, we would fall to our knees and worship? Or, <clears throat> or would we suspect? Or would we wonder what he's hiding and have suspicions about his motives or judge what he wears or critique his interactions? I hope it's not the latter, <laughs> but I know how I operate. My sin could so obscure the God of all creation that I may not even recognize him. That, that's, just, that's just the nastiness of my heart. Um, and, I, and this is where the religious were. But as we spend time with God, 
it should be very clear that when he walks in, I'm, I'm hopping off the stage. <laughs> and we're all falling to our knees, right? Like that's, that's what it should be. That's the right answer. It's just not what I feel in my heart would happen. But Jesus says, this is why you don't believe. Because you don't know God. Verse 39. So he's going to dig deeper, you guys. That was just the first layer of topsoil, okay? He's going. Here we go. Verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I didn't say this on the previous one, but underline that you do not believe. And then underline here, you refuse to come. Man. We do not want to come to Jesus. This is what he's saying. You refuse to come. Why? He says, because... You think that in the, in the scriptures, you have eternal life. Let me break this down for you here. What he's saying is, you think your salvation, you think eternity lies in the balance of your religion. That if you have good deeds and they outweigh the bad deeds, awesome, you're in. You see, we like black and white stuff. You see, you doubt because religion is easier than relationship. It's easier to say, I go to church, I give, I even take communion, I read every once in a while, I've done all the things that God wants me to do. It's religion. He says, you don't believe because... You think that's going to save you? He's like, that's not eternal life. That's not eternal life at all. But we like it. It's so comfortable. I want, just tell me what to do. How many times do we think that? God, would you just tell me what to do? And I'll just do it. You see, this is where Jesus goes. This is why you refuse to come to me, because this is safer. It's easier. A relationship takes time. It takes time. You see, and the, and the reason why this creates doubt in our lives is because when we're operating in this good deeds, bad deeds thing, I'm a pretty good person. I'm sure, you know, God's, God's pleased with me. You see, when, when you think that way, then when things go bad in your life, and I use the term bad in quotes, you go, well, I must have done something wrong. God must be dissatisfied with me. I need to do something. And you do something. Like, I'm going to start reading. I'm going to do all the things. And it doesn't change. It doesn't fix it. And you go, God must not be real. This is in the contract. That's like, I, did, I ever, did I ever say, if this, then that? If you do this, then I'll do this? No. He goes, I said, I'm going to do this. I'm here. 
I'm waiting for you. You can come to me in relationship, spend time with me. You can do that, but there's no contract here. It's not going to work. And it creates in us doubt because we bounce back and forth. Like, what happened? I don't, I don't know. I thought I was doing like the Christian things, and, and, then, and then life went crazy. You see, when, when it's about religion instead of relationship, we miss the opportunities that God wants to discipline us for our good. That's a relationship thing. God wants us to know him. God wants us to abide in him. God wants us to dwell with him. It's relationship. It's time. It's purpose. Same reason Jesus says, I push away my will, my human will, right? And I pursue God's will. That's a relationship thing. That's never going to be done by obedience. But when we go into this obedience factory, we go, I put this in and out comes this. I put in a little bit of good time with God. I serve him. I participate in the groups and I do the things. And out will come happiness. God's like, no, that's not how it works. Jesus says, it's a relationship. You refuse to come to me because this is more comfortable. It's easier. Turn over to um, Ezekiel chapter 36. Um, verse 22. He says, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God. When through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And then he's going to go in. He's going to describe, God's going to describe how he, through us, is going to vindicate and show himself holy. Listen to this. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is what God promised. He doesn't start this with obey the rules and then I'm going to do all these things. He says, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my Holy Spirit within you and cause you to obey the rules. Cause you to live for me. Cause you to put, put your will to the side and pursue my will. Cause you to seek my glory and not your own glory. He says he's going to do this. How in the world is religion ever going to do this? How is obedience to rules, how is being a good person ever going to do these things? 
And that's why. That's why it's trust and faith and dependence on God. That's what we should be believing in. Religion, it seems easy, but it's impossible. It provides no hope. And there's no grace. And so that's why, that's the second reason why we don't believe, Jesus says. One more layer off the the dirt around the roots here. Now look at verse 41. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. We doubt because we seek glory from men. What Jesus Jesus does here is he goes, you understand that I came in my Father's name. He's going back, this is reminiscent of what he's talking about with John the Baptist, right? He goes, I came and pointed to God pointed to the Father, said, I'm doing his will. I don't do anything that he doesn't do. He gave me the ability to judge, right? Like very much pointing to God. And he goes, and you don't receive me. But if somebody came pointing to themselves, you'd follow them. We're going to dwell on this here for a second because this, this is... This is the bare roots. We're, we're, getting, we're getting to the bottom of this thing. We like and follow people that are famous. We, we, there's something to that. We like people that are about themselves that are pushing their legacy, that are pushing their agenda, that are self-promoting, that are seeking the applause of men and women. We follow them. Any sort of social media platform. Doesn't matter one iota what their faith is. We've fallen over them. We put posters in our rooms. We, I mean, right? This is what we, I mean, that was maybe like a kid reference. I I know I had some posters when I was a kid. But anyway, right? Like, maybe that's an old thing. Anyway, right? Like, this is what we do. We idolize them. And And they're like, yes, fame, fortune, wealth, success. And we go, man, it's incredible. I love that guy. You don't even know him. You don't even know her. You have no idea. But they're beautiful people. But then when somebody comes in humility, pointing to God, you give or take, not really worth much of my time. They're not, they're not pointing to themselves. They're, they're pointing to the Father. 
And what do we do? The same thing we would do if Jesus walked in. We go, something's wrong here. There's a skeleton in that closet. Just wait, it'll break. Nobody's that polished. Nobody's that humble. Nobody's that selfless. And we reject it. Why? Why do we do that? Is it, is it, this, is, this is how we live, right? Like it's, I mean, it, it, there's this weird dichotomy between these, these different people in our lives, and we, 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 we cast suspicion on, on those like Jesus who, who point to God, and then we, we love and fawn over those who point to themselves, and this is what Jesus says. He's like, I, I don't, Jesus says, I don't get glory from man, like that's not my pursuit. I'm pointing to the Father in humility, right? You go read Philippians 2, right? Like Jesus lays aside all of his glory, not all of his glory, but he lays aside a lot of his glory in heaven, right? And comes incarnate, humbles himself, and he's obedient to God, the Father. And we just read everything, and he's like, it's not like Jesus is sitting there pounding his chest going, look at me. Did you see that miracle? Watch this one. But that's what we expect. That's what we like. How jacked up are we? What's going on? This, this was super convicting to me because I'm like, yeah, yeah. It seems as though maybe Jesus was right about some of this. And then he lays the hammer down in verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. You cannot believe. I cannot believe. We will struggle with doubts until the day we die as long as we are seeking the applause of men. <laughs> I feed off of that. I always have. Um, it's tough. In my Air Force career, my entire life. And when, when things go well and, and you taste success, it just, it just feeds it. It makes it worse. And this is what Jesus is saying. Because what happens? What happens to faith? Well, you put that to the side. I don't need that. I've got this. But we all do it. We select clothes that we think look good. I thought about wearing like a bag up here today or something. I don't know. Wilson wouldn't have let me leave the house. We, we clean ourselves up. We put on jewelry and watches and things. And we think about these things. And whether we have the financial means to do them or not, irrelevant. Right? There's some version of that inside all of our hearts. We want people to think well of us. 
We want to be known as a nice guy or a nice gal. We want to be thought of as kind. I said something so nasty this week to, uh, about this person, and my buddy was like, dude. And it was, I'm like, yeah, that was, I don't, I don't know where that came from. Oh, yeah, I do. Sinful nature. We want people to think, but that, that's, the, right? So then he says this, and, I, and what's my thought? Oh, I don't want him to think bad about me. Like, that's my, that's my fix to it. Not, not repentance of like what I said, but like, now this guy thinks bad about me. <laughs> We're in this like washing machine of sinfulness just being turned over and over again. But this is where we operate. This is, this is why we struggle with doubt. Because we sit here and we're pursuing our wills because we, we want, we, we're going to do these activities, we're going to build this family, we're going to pursue this job, and if we just get these things or if we're pursuing these, like it's just all consuming and it's all about us. And so that somebody can write on our gravestone, the guy was a good dude. We care more about what other people think about us than what they think about God. If our relationships were, were real relationships, I would care more about what you think about God than what you think about me. I don't care. I shouldn't care. I shouldn't get off this stage going, Man, I hope that was a good sermon. I should get off the stage going, man, I hope, hearts were, I hope God used that to change hearts. And I got to admit, it's about 50-50, you guys. Why? Why are we like this? And what Jesus says is, you will not believe. You can't believe as long as you're pursuing your own will in your life, if you're pursuing your own glory. He goes, no, you need to be pursuing the glory of God. You want God to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Could you even imagine what it would Could you even imagine what it would be like to see God like <laughs> applaud you or like smile when you you know what I mean when he sees you and he's like, man, you did good. Not in the sense of you obeyed rules, but like, you, you did good. Why can't that motivate us? And this is why we struggle in faith. And so what he says here is, he goes, listen, I, I'm not judging you. Look what he says in verse 45. He says, don't think that I will accuse you to the Father. Jesus is like, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying these things to accuse you. He says, there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? He says, stop with the religion. Stop. Pursue a relationship. Pursue my will. Seek my will. Yes, if we could just do that. If we, and not in the sense that like, we're just, we're so self-consumed. And, and he goes, would you, just, would you just understand that 
that this is why you doubt. This is why you struggle with believing. Because there's these traps, there's these off-ramps that we keep finding ourselves on. And he goes, no. It's about relationships. Spend time with me. Know my will. Pursue my will. Seek my glory. In your relationships with one another, be concerned about their relationship with God, not how they see you. This is what he's saying. This is what he describes. good news of Jesus Christ is that he changes our hearts and that despite all of this despite all the struggle the doubt his grace is strong his power is mighty and he can do all of these things he says that he will give you a new heart that's the prayer that we need to have. God, I want to set aside my will. I want to think in the same way that Jesus thought. I, I want to be for you above all other things. Give me that in my heart. And what he promises, we read in Ezekiel, he will. He will cleanse us from our uncleanliness. He will give us a new heart. This is the promise. This is the good news and even in the midst of our doubts, we, we, we recognize things. We've got to recognize these things. It's, there's got to be bad news before the good news. There's always going to be darkness before you recognize the light. Like that's how this works. That is how God operates. And so if you are in here and you're like, man, I'm doubting and I don't know what to do, recognize what this is and, and seek God. Ask him to change your heart. There's no, I can't give you a checklist. That's not what this is about. I mean, what he says here is so crystal clear. And so if this is something that you've been wrapping yourself around, trying to understand, like, why do I doubt? Man, all of us doubt. All of us have doubted. And I'll, I'll post something or send it out, but I got something from uh, Desiring God from like John Piper's thing literally this morning on doubt. And it was phenomenal. I only got through like half of it before I church started. So I'm like, this is so good. God is stronger than our doubts. Jesus is mightier than our sin. That's the good news. <laughs> and so we come before our God and we go, how great is our God? How great is he? There isn't a single person in this room he can't change your heart. There isn't a single person in this room whose sin is so bad that God can't forgive you. The ironic part is that He's already forgiven your sins. You just may not know it yet. <laughs> and this is what Jesus does. And he says at the very beginning, I want you to be saved. I want you to see me. I want you to receive me. I want you to believe in me. I want you to come to me. I want you to be with me, to abide in me, to trust in me, because that is where we will conquer doubts. And that's where we will live, not for our own glory, but for the glory of God. Let me pray.